and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. All right. Today, we are talking about The Babadook with a friend of the podcast, Peter Ruiz, and new to the podcast, Maya Jones. Welcome, Peter and Maya. Welcome back, Peter, and welcome to Maya. Uh, let's start with Maya. Tell us, uh, as we ask everyone, what's your favorite scary movie? And also get us um, a little bit of like your horror origin story. Where did you learn that you enjoyed this uh, strange genre? <laughs> so I will have to say my favorite scary movie has to be, and it's not that scary, so let it be known, Halloween Town. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Either that or um, definitely Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. A classic. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> not really special, but like, not that scary either, but I just, I fell in love with the romanticization of the relationships and how things can be scary, but it's all about perspective and how we see them in order for us to really appreciate where they're coming from. I like it. I like it. Do you have like a horror origin story? Like when you started getting into the spookiness? I used to be really scared of horror films because I'm very impressionable. My mind takes things and runs. Um, so like one of the first ones that I saw that really freaked me out and made me like take a break. And then I was like, I can't stop thinking about it was The Ring. Um, that's the one where the person, the kid in the well, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm, okay, long as I'm, I'm right. Um, I watched that really young and was like, this is crazy. And I did not have the words to process it. And I shouldn't have been watching it, <laughs> but <laughs> I was. And it was, um, it just, you know how something gets in your spirit and it sticks there. And it's like, maybe I should re try something, some more of it. Um, so I've gone forward since then and like, okay, maybe all of it's not super scary because I kind of like some elements of it. So nice. I actually I actually have a really funny quick story that I might cut out of this for uh, the ring. When I watched it for the first time as like a teenager, I so at the end of the credits, they play the video that you watch to like get you cursed or whatever. As soon as that video cut off, my phone rang. <laughs> And I freaked out. And it was just my grandma being like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to kill you. It's just my grandma. <laughs> what are you doing right now to call me? Anyway. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Maya. That's awesome. Uh, Peter, what you been up to since you've last been on the show? What have you been watching? What projects are you up to? All that kind of stuff. I've been obsessing with WandaVision over the past over the past couple of weeks as as that has been progressing especially because i'm interested in like the psychology behind it it's supposed to lead directly into the next doctor strange which is supposed to be a horror movie so i'm interested in how they're going to how how we're going to take that and shift that especially i won't give any spoilers but this last episode's reveal i'm just like yes we are getting into the spooky and let's see how spooky we can get yes right and then on my own, I am currently in the process of writing a piece of solo theater for my thesis for my MFA in acting, because that's coming to an end soon. Hey. <laughs> awesome. Those all sound great. I need to get caught up on WandaVision. I'm waiting until I'm like 
binge it because that's just who I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't want cliffhangers and like, oh no, I don't next week. <laughs> but, but I've heard so many good things, so I'm really excited. So both of you, we'll start with Maya and then Peter. Tell us, tell the audience where they can find you on social media, where you want them to follow you so they can keep up with all your exciting things or anything you got going on in life. I suck at social media. So um, you can follow my artist page on Facebook. It's Maya Jones. I have on M-A-Y-A, like Maya Angelou. Um, I have on a green top. It's an old headshot and I update it when I can. And then if you really would like to and you only do Instagram, you can find me at Jador Naturality 92 J-A-D-O-R-E-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y-9. Awesome. Peter, remind page, So just know you're going to see me looking crazy. <laughs> Peter, remind us where we can catch your, all your stuff at. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Peter underscore J underscore Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz spelled R-U-I-Z. You can also let, look up my website, www.peter-ruiz.com. And that's where you can find out what I'm doing and what my shenanigans I'm getting up to. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So let's get down to general thoughts on like the whole film of The Babadook. Heartbreaking. It's a whole damn mood. It just is. I've watched it twice this week, which, and Ooh. both of those are probably like the 20th time I've seen it. 20-something. You went through an emotional journey there. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really taken with like, and, and I always mention this actually in the episodes that we do, I was taken with the sound design for the Babadook mm -hmm. and I was taken with the color scheme. Like there was, there was no vibrancy in the movie and it so reflected what was happening in this sort of like muted world that our protagonist was living in. There was nothing to draw the eye. There was no excitement. It was just all of these really dull colors. Like she had like the filter of her depression over life. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a color scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we have a film that's covering depression and grief, but it takes place years after the traumatic event that's causing this grief. Because it shows, like so many times in films and television, it shows like, oh, they're sad for a year and then they're over it. They're on to their next conquest or, you know, but this shows that like trauma and grief and depression stays with you forever, really, you know, do you ever truly get over it? Yeah. I guess the trauma, grief and depression is why Netflix decided in 2016 that it was an LGBT film. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it was also the people out in the streets like saying, this is my life. And Baba duking it out. Well, well, that's because well, that's because Netflix put it underneath the LGBTQ category uh, for a while, and then the gays just were like, "Yes, the Baba Duke is a queer icon." We've been Baba shook ever since, and I I'm not mad. <laughs> I was confused, but I went with it, and I I'm happy we made this choice <laughs> as a society. Listen, we, instead we're... of a closet, he was in a basement. Like, here we are. Right <laughs> 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 the basement. <laughs> go back into the basement. We queer people don't get many queer icons and whores, so we got to take them where we can get them, okay? <laughs> That's hysterical. All right. 
Any other general thoughts before we get into our specific points about the movie? I just want to point out again how we had to leave America to get a good grief horror movie. Um, and we'd never get that here because, again, I have this rant every episode almost. Americans don't have feelings. We want Transformers. We want a, a Superman who's allergic to moon rocks as a hero. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to get into things that are real and grounded and feel things. And I hate that. I hate us. <laughs> Hashtag no nuance ever. Right? No nuance, America. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get down to our specific points. So we'll each take turns at um, beginning the conversation and then we'll move on from there. This kid is a future serial killer. Yes. Like, those are the vibes that I got from this child from the very beginning. I don't know. Like, why is this child simultaneously, like, deranged and a crybaby? He was so clingy and needy and loud. Like, the first time I saw this movie, I thought he was the Babadook. Like, I'm going to attach my point to yours. I hate this kid. Um <laughs> I'm a hundred percent convinced that that like they knew what they were doing, especially that one moment where like mom is like trying to have that orgasm on her own, and like he shows up right before right before she's about to climax and interrupts because he's just like nah. That was one of my notes. I said her son interrupting her personal time with her vibrator is reason number one why I do not have children. <laughs> I was like, if she kills him, I don't know how to feel about it <laughs> because I mean like. He, he got bad timing. It is not, he don't understand it's not always about him. <laughs> I need him to unchat himself and let her live. I will this say, sounds like a problem with men in general. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know how to not make it about him. I will say I was living for the moment in the beginning where the little boy had his magical cloak on and it was all gold rhinestones. And I was like, you live your Liberace realness. It's good. <laughs> That's the other reason why they made it an LGBT film on Netflix, is that Liberace cape moment. <laughs> Definitely actually love the kid. I'm not amongst friends in this conversation. <laughs> I love the casting of the child. I love that we do assume that the Babadook is something that the child is dealing with as opposed to the parent. And oftentimes when children are dealing with things, we make it about the child as opposed to what they're experiencing around them and how they're dealing with that, those things. So I, I'm like, yeah, he looks a little possibly killerish, but like that's on purpose. They could have picked the bright eyed, bushy tailed someone. And then it would have been a very different story, I think. So the fact that he looks like strung out is, is reflective of what he's going through. No, he's just out here giving us trauma realness. I see that. Right? Yeah, I mean, I can agree. I think the casting was done well. I just didn't love how they wrote the character. Because <laughs> it's so like, yeah, like Shrey was saying, so clingy and like everything is like about me. Now, the one time I did agree with him was when he pushed that little girl out the treehouse. Because that little girl was worse than he was. I, I will second. That was the one thing where I was like, I'm on your side, kid. But for the rest of the movie, I was like, uh, maybe he's a Babadook. Uh, maybe she should get rid of him. Uh. <laughs> um. Wait, that, was, that was good. That was good and clever misdirection on the side of the movie, though, because we're because I think we spend like the first like third to the first half of the film 
really thinking that the Baba Duke is is related to the child and not the mom. So I think in terms of like how they shape the film, that was really that was a really like smart misdirection for us. We love a good misdirection in horror. Mm-hmm. And it would have played into all of the decades of horror because it's always the kids see it and the adults don't believe them, which is why so many fierce, wow, so many Elm Street kids get drugged by their parents because they're just like, you just need a nap. He's not coming after you. Don't talk about what we did in the past. <laughs> um, because parents are always in the wrong in the horror genre. And so it would have been 100% the usual trope to be like, yeah, this kid sees it, she doesn't. Hope she doesn't get him killed for it. Yeah. Yeah. Thought that was really smart and very cool because I'm very good at predicting what's going to happen. And I was like, wait, what's going on here for real? Way further into the movie than I ever would have in other typical films. So that kept me intrigued. The relationship to the neighbor lady mm-hmm. is something that I wanted to like pull out and talk about because I'm still trying to figure it out. For me, it's 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 about when people see things and they're bystanders and they don't say anything or when they do finally say something and they get thwarted because they're respecting your right to parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm speaking particularly about the conversation that they have, which is also towards the end, but like the conversation that they have when he's like reaching out and he's like, look, help. And then she gets on that phone and like, nope, everything's fine. And we all, again, my my issue with the with the movie is like this boy needs help and he's actually reaching out for it and he keeps getting thwarted because he's a child and not a parent. That that's throughout the film too. Like there, like every time we have every time there is an interaction with an with an adult, right? Whether it's the whether it's the doctor who prescribes this medication about seeing this child, whether it's the friend with the daughter who they share a birthday party with like the blame is always placed on him and not on this mom and also like if this woman was not white that child would have been taken away that first time that first time child protective services showed up that child would have been gone but because she but because she was a white woman she got to keep this child and continue to traumatize this child And in all honesty, she probably should have gotten that child taken away. Because like, she was talking about holes in the wall that weren't there. All her stuff is disorganized, like all all over the place. The kids talking about being drugged, like. Yeah, no, like I, she messy. She's so messy. And that's, that's one of my points is this poor woman is so unhappy and she's bawling it because society tells us we can't have feelings as fans. Um, we aren't allowed to be mad. We aren't allowed to be sad because it's improper and it's impolite. Um, we become stereotypes of like angry black women or must be menstruating. It can't be Chad's an asshole. <laughs> that's never that's never the answer. And so this woman's been bottling her emotions since this father died, maybe even before, because we don't know if she even wanted to have a kid or if they were just pregnant and we're going to do it together. We don't know if she explored her options after she gave birth, because again, society doesn't like to give women agency and options. And so did she even want to like raise it or did she want to do adoption, but felt weird because of grief? We don't know. Yeah. yeah. There's also this idea that grief should work on some sort of timeline. And I think that is also reflected in the film. Like everyone just feels like both her and this child should be over what happened. Well, doesn't right. the, the sister, it's her sister, right? Or his, some, the aunt, 
literally yeah. tells her, why are you not over this yet? Why are you not moved? Why haven't you moved on? Yeah. And it's talking to the daughter about it because the daughter has like rude things to say that she's clearly getting from her parents. Yeah. And Ooh, let the record reflect let the record reflect it be that way sometimes mm. find out from your niece or your nephew about something that you did years ago from they how why are you talking to your child about things that adults do stop right get yourself some your friend and not your child <laughs> <laughs> right? some friends your age and some therapists <laughs> don't talk to well, your partner <laughs> This, this leads really cleanly into, into one of the points that I was talking about with the way that this film addresses mental health. And it's also sort of a critique of the way we look at mental health as well. Like that doctor gave this mother medication for this child without seeing this child, without therapy, like just assumed based off of what this mother was saying that this child needed to be medicated yeah. and shook. Yeah, the whole the whole question of mental health in this film, I think it's it's tackled in a way that I think it's never been tackled before. I think that's really important, but I, um, it also is kind of concerning because the mother is very against him going to therapy. Says he doesn't need therapy. He needs medication. He doesn't need therapy. He needs to mind her. He's not. He's being uh, what's the word she uses? Um, disobedient. Instead of this child is like Maya said screaming for help because not only I don't think she realizes in her own grief that he is also going through his own grief you know story of grief and so I think that it's it's really troublesome that she is so against him because she gets told by the teacher the principal that he needs to see someone for therapy essentially that might end up being medication if that is needed by the therapist but then she's so against him seeing a therapist, but she wants to get him medicated. And the sister does not help because she blames everything on the mother, as opposed to being like, I know y'all been going through some shit, but you might need to get your son some help. <laughs> and again, that goes back to the stigma of mental health and the stigma that if your kid has a problem, it reflects on you as the mother, as opposed to you getting your kid the help that they fucking need. Um, <laughs> so again, there's just sexism at play in all of these choices. Yeah, especially, like they both need therapy they really both need therapy because she made this child like the proxy for all of the blame for why the man that she loved is dead like somehow like somehow it became this child's fault and so like all of his all of his misgivings all his misbehaviors like yeah i don't like this kid yeah i think he's a future serial killer but probably a lot of but that is definitely because of the way this woman has claimed all of this guilt on this poor child. So he becomes, he, he manifests what she wants, what, what she wants him to be, the proxy for all of her problems. Yes. It's truly a self-fulfilling prophecy. If this is what you make it, make it, then that's what it's going to become because children are so impressionable. And again, about the muted thing that you brought up at the top, where is the joy, right? I watch Super Nanny. Um, and one of her biggest critiques of parents is that they just want children's obedience. They don't want to actually bring them joy and, and engage them and have fun with them. And we don't really see instances of them just having fun. And I feel like if they had some of that holistic coming together, then they would have been able to 
get beyond what happened to dad. Yeah, and they and like he's attempting to with like the magic tricks and the magic show, and like there's that moment where he he turn he ma magics the coin into his hand and then releases the dove and we're given like us at the and that's that's at the very end. That's at the very end, but like he's trying to do that man he's trying to do all this magic stuff throughout and like he's really trying to like give her the pieces of joy that he can. Like, I feel like he spends so much of the film, yeah, he's clingy, yeah, he's needy, but I feel like he's also very much, like, trying to, like, put a, a smile on his mother's face in so many points throughout the film, and that she's just not receptive to him providing any sort of happiness for her. And I, and I think that's because she just can't. She's just in this, like, she's in this emotional place that her brain just, joy, no you know, hard, hard no, hard pass. And it's because she's just bottled up all of her feelings and all of who she was. Um, like literally, we don't get to actually see who this woman is, maybe even at the end, because like whatever happened to her has left her so shaken. And she's just like, I have to get through the day. I have to raise my son. I have to go to work so that I can have the money to raise my son and pay our bills. And so she, she's not living, she doesn't have friends. She has like the one Claire, who's not really a friend so much as someone as a kid about the same age and about the same birthday. Uh, and she has Mrs. Roach next door, who's like an old lady who clearly can't help anybody, even though she tries towards the end. Um, and she has the people at her job who are mostly there to like cover her shifts when her son pops off and she has to leave work. And so like, there is no family on either side. Yeah. and. And did you notice that the the guy at work, the first time you see him, he makes a sexist joke? He's one of my notes. I I was happy they shut Robbie down before it even got started. Because so often in these movies, we see this woman and we see this man that she has to end up with and he's gonna fix all of her problems. Because at the end of the day, she just needed a man. Men don't fix problems, men add to your problems. That's just the way of the world. Um, that's the <laughs> so tweet. That's the, that's, it, that's the tweet, that's my tombstone. Um, men add to your problems. And then a man appeared. Right? You need to get rid of a lot of your problems to have room for them because they're going to bring you problems. And so I was happy he walked in and to their moment, they were yelling at each other and he was like, oh, I should leave this alone. And I was like, you should, Robbie, you should. We got a Babadook. Go somewhere. <laughs> was, I, was I the only one that felt like even at the end, she still felt really hollow like she didn't feel really joyous she just felt the same but now she's got a smile on her face that's sadness that's <laughs> i agree i agree yep. because that was one of my points um the fact that at the end she is managing the babadook as opposed to getting rid of it because it's not something that you can ever get rid of it's something that you can only ever manage and i appreciate that because that shit's just real that's just real and maybe eventually she'll get to the point where she can be happy and smile with ease but this is a long process it's a long mm. healing process and so I respect that they gave it they did it justice by saying yeah I'm gonna come down here and feed you I'm gonna take care of you but I also need you to meet me where I am and I need to be able to stop you at this this is this is the red line do not cross it mm. Off of that point, I think that 
I worry that because she sends her son outside, it's like, don't come in until I tell you to come in. So I wonder if she knows that this is not like a direct route to healed. Um, there's going to be times where the Babadook bests her in this basement. And I wonder what that's going to look like. Because like, they've been through this before. What's it going to look like the next time it happens? Yeah, I'm also concerned that he says, the little boy says, "Can when can I see it? And she says, maybe when you're older. So are we now passing on our grief and trauma to our children and not dealing with it? it like <laughs> Generational trauma, y'all. Right? Like something interesting that I, that, and when, when, when Sheree and Maya and I were watching it and I mentioned it after, when we were discussing at the end is that throughout the film, the Babadook has a male presenting voice, right? And then when we see him, he's got a male presenting face. But in that, in, like, but right when, right when she bests the Babadook and banishes it to the basement or traps it in the basement, the sound that comes out of the Babadook switches from a male presenting voice to her voice. Mm. I've been thinking about that since you brought it up. And I feel that what it is is that, like, again, she put all of her shit in the basement with all of her husband's memories. And at that moment, she decided to reclaim her emotions and her feels. And so that's when the Babadook is like, I'm done hiding behind him and his memory. This is you, bitch. Well, she, yeah, she owned it. She sees the Babadook as her husband, like manifested physically as her husband twice. That's, that's definitely an emotional game a lot of us play and where we're like, this is the issue. When that's not the issue, the issue is something else. But we're going to say it's that because it's easier to be like, it's this, as opposed to it's all this. Cause this is heavy. I want to deal with this. I'm a blame this one person, and that's all it is. Um, <laughs> we've seen that on social media forever. We've seen that in some of our childhoods. Not gonna name names, mom. Um, <laughs> so like, behavior. It is. It is. is pushing off the blame onto someone else when you just need to own up to your shit and it stank. And that's she doesn't. And I don't think she ends the film owning it. I think she's trapped it, but she hasn't owned it. Right, because like they have that whole moment where where she's puking up the black bile, and and it's like, is she is she expelling it or is she separate or is she trying to separate it from herself? And after she pukes it up, they go upstairs, and her kid is like, "You can't get rid of the Babadook," and it snatches him because you can't just get rid of your shit. You have to work through it. Throwing it up is the first step because that's only you have a problem. <laughs> there are other steps, and there is. <laughs> You need a 12 step program, baby. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just had this thought and I'm wondering, I want, I'm wondering what you all think. Cause I think I might have enjoyed this movie a little more if the, in the, in the last bit, after she's put the Babadook in the basement, she's clearly um, handling her grief and depression. But I wish there would have been like even a two second clip of her like, in therapy or her like in some some kind of so that she we see her that she's actually working on dealing with the Babadook and not just putting it in the basement and hoping it never sees the light of day again. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. We are here. We are here. We are here. As uh, they say in Horton Years of Who, I see you and I see it. And I wanted something more. I, that's why it's heartbreaking for me um, because I don't, we don't see her actually engage therapy. Um, and we know that like, I'm new to taking pills, but I take them um, because I realized I needed that for chemical balance. But 
talk therapy is so important. It should be free. If therapy were free, and if there were a few years mandatory, like there is school, we would be a better society. Put it in the school. Take out home ec, take out sports. We don't need to run around a gym. We need to talk about our feels. Yeah. Where is therapy instead of nap time? I, I need kindergartners talking about their feelings. Right? If you want, you can combine it with art hours so we can finger paint while we talk about what's going on at home. Like, well, you have to multitask. Mm-hmm. What's sad is most schools have counselors, but most of the time those counselors have become, how can we better position you to go to college or to have this idea of society's success instead of like, hey, let's sit down and let's talk. Tell me what's going on at home. Tell me what's going on in your head and your life. You know what I mean? Another aspect of that is that they are overworked. It's two counselors for a whole building of people. And I know my therapist most recently is overworked with how many people they have at this institution who are going through their pandemic struggles. And so sometimes I see them and I'm like, I'm gonna leave now because what you don't need is me piling on right now. Yes, I need to talk, but I got other people I can talk to today. And for like places before college, like high school and junior high, from what I can tell, because I was homeschooled, but from what I can tell from my friend's stories and from all the TV I watch is that those counselors only come into play when shit pops off. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, there's been something that's made it onto the news. We should all bring the counselor in and have a circle. Yeah. Or, oh, you're a problem child, go see the counselor. It's never like, hey, we have a counselor. These are good tools. Let's right. make time for you all go see them during this fifth period. Let's just go ahead and unpack therapy for a hot second. Do you know how many counselors and therapists I went through in my adult life? Because God forbid we give children help. Um, <laughs> do you know how many I went through in my adult life before I was like, I should ask for someone black so I can stop explaining my experience and trying to justify it, people don't get it? Because that's most of it. The reason so many black people don't do doctors, especially black women, is because we are never believed. Um, we're told we're exaggerating our pain. We're told our issues are because we're fat. Like, it's like, no, my thin friends are all so sad. Maybe there's something here in Missouri. No, you need to lose weight. Um, the last therapist that I ghosted, because I've been through a couple since I moved here. <laughs> the last one I ghosted, I ghosted her because she couldn't get over the fact that I, I was not in need of getting out of my apartment to like meet people in a pandemic. I was like, that's not, I'm in a racist town. I don't want to meet anybody. I don't have to meet here. It's good. Getting on Bumble in a pandemic just seems wrong. I, but she couldn't understand that. And so we were at impasse because she was like, but like, you're probably just lonely. And I was like, no, no, I'm telling you what my issues are. I'm telling you where my anxieties are coming from. I am telling you about my recent traumas, which are what I'm trying to talk to you about. And you're trying to do your like usual therapist dance with me. And I'm just like, no, no, I sought you out because I thought you'd get it because you were a black woman. And then I found another one. And so I ghosted her. Yeah. Which, which we kind of see in this movie with the character of Claire. In, in, instead of uh, encouraging her friend, sister, whatever, to seek help, to seek therapy, to seek therapy for the child as well, she blames it all on her and acts like it's just because she's not a good mother or these these real world kind of things that, yeah, she probably could work on, but like, that's not why the trauma's there. That's not why <laughs> the actions are there. And that's why I don't care that the little white girl got pushed out the tree. I pushed her too. I'd push her. As an adult, I'd push her. I think I think four out of four podcasters would push her out of the tree. Four out of four. I would have pushed her, climbed down, and pushed her mom too. I was not about that family. Not about my mama like that. 
Right. See, this is why. This is why they're. This is why they couldn't have done that film with, with black and brown people because we would have had a real talk moment and we would have been like, "Yeah, your child, your child needs some discipline, but y'all need to go to therapy." Because no one was having the real talk conversation with her. No one was just like, we see that you're grieving. Your grief is not an excuse for this behavior. You have ways around that behavior. You go seek therapy, reach out into your network. And don't just, don't just rely on this woman, Claire, who obviously doesn't care about your child, right? Who obviously doesn't care about you. There are folks out there who care about you. Have you cut off your, your dead husband's entire family? Is that why you don't have a support network? Where, where are they? Where's her family? Does she not where have are they? Seriously, because that's what I want to know. Because I, coming from a Black tradition, I don't care if you my cousin three times removed on the left. If I know who you is, I'm about to come find you and make sure that you okay. Where are the people checking in on them? They should not be alone. Is this a white phenomenon? Is this something I'm not privy to? What is going on here? And that's why I really love the neighbor lady because she's like, I see they need help. Mrs. Roach, I, she's the undersung hero because like this kid is coming at her for a Parkinson and she's like, it's okay, it's true. He said I have it and I do. <laughs> and she's like, I, he called me, so I came over. I don't know what's going on. Y'all are screaming. You seem to be having a moment. I care. <laughs> and I'm just like, why is Mrs. Roach doing what nobody else in this town does? She's yeah. the only one seeing things for exactly as they are. Everyone else is trying to filter it. Everyone else is trying to be like, oh, it's because of this reason or that reason. It's because you don't know how to raise your child. It's because you haven't gotten over your husband. It's because, you, it's because you're not working. It's because you haven't returned back to your passions, not no, you're still grieving. And that's why this is happening. I have Parkinson's, that is real. That is the action, that is the absolute truth. Mrs. Roach is out here like, nah, the truth is that y'all are struggling. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't know about y'all, but I was so scared when she ended up, when she came over there that one night when mama was really going through it. I was like, is she gonna kill this old lady? I was like, please don't do this to me. She's already <laughs> killed the dog. I don't want you to kill the old lady too. Please don't. Please, please don't. I was so sad when the dog died, but that was very white of me to be like, oh my God, they killed the dog. Yeah. But also I felt it in my heart, like, cause she had the apparitions of the yep. it happened. And I was like, oh, we know what's next. And she fought hard as hell to not make that happen. And I appreciate that. However, because a dog knows, right? You live with this dog. If this dog that lives with you and you feed don't like you, something going on. Right, when the dog switches from like being your friend to not being your friend, it, it, it is aware that something is going on in your body and in your soul. That poor baby. That dog, that dog, is, that dog is a victim. That, that dog does not deserve what happened to them. And like the fact that this movie, it almost, feel, it almost feels like in some ways they give, her, they, they give her the apparition as a scapegoat for that behavior. But she fought it. At least she fought it. At least she tried not to kill this dog. At least she tried not to choke out her own child. At least she tried. You know what? We don't we don't give we don't give out cookies for not for not killing your child when you wanted to. We don't give out cookies because you attempted not to kill your dog. We say 
you did that. Those were your actions. Where are your consequences? This film doesn't have consequences. And that's a huge problem I have with it. Because as Sheree said earlier, or you said, Peter, the child would have been taken away. Mm-hmm. This would have not, this would have been not been a thing. And for so many of us who have gone through childhood trauma and have seen things that we should not have seen and experienced other people's trauma and had to help them through their trauma, much like this child does, which is why I empathize so much with him. Like he, 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 he did what needed to be done. He said, we about mm-hmm. to tie you up and I'm about to be here because the Babadook not gonna get you. And I really like, I love him for that because so many people are not strong enough to do that. Claire wasn't, all these other people weren't, coworkers, friends, principals, people in her life were not there for her. And the only person she had to fall back on was the person who should have been being taken care of. It, because everyone, everyone else should have tied her up. Everyone else should have been the one to tie her up, not this child. Also, where did this little eight-year-old learn how to tie somebody up like this? <laughs> you know what? He didn't have sort of Babadook, so he's had to learn fast. Yes. There was a quick YouTube moment that got cut out of the film. <laughs> he also learned how to tie a Windsor knot in that moment. He's like, I might as well learn how to tie a tie at the same time I'm learning these knots. You know, Deb's not here to help. So we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to have a double moment right here. What he really needs to learn was to make his own hair appointments and get his hair cut because I was not here for that. Like, I'm not here for like not having long hair, but like that needed a style. Cause it was it was disheveled as fuck. It, I'm it, sure that child had lice. Mm. <laughs> it again reminded me of like those people who want you to believe that the house is in order, and then the kids are showing you that it's not. So like at the daycare where the kid shows up with like crust in the eyes and like drool on the face and like dirty clothes from last week, and then the mother is like put together. <laughs> it's like no, these are two different stories. You right. need to investigate this. The thing with this movie is that neither of them were put together and still no one was and still no one was just like, you know what, maybe we should step inside. And when they did step inside, they were just like, this is fine, I guess. That moment when she said there was, uh, that you brought up, Maya, where she said that there was a hole behind the fridge and then the two Child Protective Service agencies didn't, like, were like, there's no hole. <laughs> there's no hole. That child should have been removed. She should have been hospitalized. Sheree brought up that moment, and that's a moment that stuck with me as well, because I'm like, you know, look, I I didn't seen some roaches in my days. Not a lot. I, I grew up in Florida, so water bugs ain't roaches. That's a whole different, they animals out here. Um, And so when you start to see that, that's like a, infestation like I got a mind infestation going on here for her and it's just like let's figure this out together and she's doing I feel like she's fighting so hard just not in the right ways she's fighting for the wrong things and I understand that as a traumatized person like I understand that sometimes things become everything everything is a crisis in that moment and sometimes it needs to not be a crisis so that you can deal with you Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like she never got a chance to deal with her because she was always fighting some crisis that was taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's literally living in a prolonged trauma response and just dealing with things as they pop up, which 
some of us have fallen in too many times, but it's not <laughs> healthy and it's not the way it needs to be. The one, uh, so I want to bring out something that I thought was really um, well done in this movie. Because I, I forgot, because I'd watched this movie like when it first came out, however many years ago that was. I forgot how genuinely scary and creepy the Babadook is, like the character the Babadook is. It was terrifying. <laughs> the scene where he's coming down the hallway at her, I was like, oh shit, oh my God, it was so scary. And you could never see like all of him. He just kind of came, it was part of the chat. It was so well done. Oh, that was a really well done part of this movie. The scary part that hit me was the the Papa's outfit in the basement. I was like, oh, that was way more scary than any of the imagery because that's like somebody reels, like, and they've got it posted up. Fuck that. Reanimation might happen in the future and I'm scared of it. Don't be those holograms. That's all I gotta say. I think what they did well, because it happened throughout the film, was just like, there were these random objects or like there was the there was the hat and the coat at, in one scene where where she looked over and she thought it was the Babadook and then we look over again and it's just a hat and a coat and that idea that that it is something that is ever present that only you can see was was a really interesting part of the film and I also like love this return back to a simple horror villain. Mm -hmm. something that isn't a shit ton of CGI, something that isn't, something that like honestly would probably not look truly monstrous. And it, and it harkens back, it harkens back to like what makes a good horror film. And that is, we need a legend. We, we need some sort of, we need, we need a framework. We don't need something that's just going to jump out at you. We need a history. And this, and, and, and the hour and a half, because that's a short film, they created a history for this creature. Yeah, I also thought this, the lighting in general in those moments were really well done. Because I'm sure if you like had full lights on, that Babadook would not have been scary at all. It's probably just a dude in a jacket with some prosthetics on. <laughs> but you turn down the lights, and suddenly it is the creepiest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> the Babadook is a Teletubby. Rejected Teletubby. No, but I feel like I feel like part of the reason the Babadook works so well, even because like the CGI is aging. We we just saw it; it's aging. But I think the reason that it works so well is because it's sort of like burlesque, where you get like bits and parts of it, and they tease you with it, and you're like, oh no! And so you're making up the rest of it in your head. Um, and I think that's part of the reason it's terrifying because a lot of the times horror movies are just like, here it is. This is your monster, and it's like this is this is a choice it's a trash bag and i didn't need to see this and that's what we we're gonna do respect your budget yes but it's literally a trash bag <laughs> yeah especially we didn't actually correct me if i'm wrong i don't think we actually saw the babadook until the third act of the film no yeah and that's also like an old horror that's also an old horror movie trick is just like we build up the suspense of the babadook by talking about it by having reactions to things that could be it so it allows it allows us as the viewer, it may it treats the viewer as someone smart enough to create the monster in their head so that when the monster is revealed, it is exactly what we were thinking of because we had all this time to build it up in our heads. 
Right. And then and you were talking about the buildup of it. When they get the book at first, the book's not even completed. And he has this bad reaction to it. So it just it continues to build to there. Another really creepy part was when the book turns up on the doorstep and then she gets the phone call and it's just like, Baba. I was like, no. <laughs> the Baba Duke can call people. He's calling collect. I can't handle it. <laughs> I just really wanted to drop out of, of watching it when I saw that happen. I was like, you know what? This is going places I just don't want to participate in. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, who, whose dumb ass throws the book out instead of burns it at first? Like, she eventually got to the burning of the book, and it still didn't work. But, like, we all know you purify things by fire. Literally. Apparently not. Literally. You can't throw it away. It's not old food. It's your emotions. And the, and the fact, like, the book, the, the book, like, like, when she burned after, like, she, like, tore it up and burned it. And, like, there were so many different ways in which she disfigures this book. And it just comes back in a more threatening manner. Like, it's just like, I gave you a cute little warning before. I was being sweet. Now I'm going to kill your ass. Right. No, I love that it, when it came back to her, it wasn't, like, pristine again. It was like, no, I taped myself back together. And here it is. <laughs> I'm still here with you. Like, you thought you got, got rid of me. And you thought you got through with me. And I kind of see that as like a um, metaphor for like, sometimes we go to therapy and it doesn't work. And we go to therapy again and, we, and it doesn't work. Or we ghost our person and it don't work because fuck them. And we need a new person and it don't work and fuck them too. And then we finally find our person and it starts working a little bit, but still like, you know, I talked about that earlier, the trajectory is, is long, right? This is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so I really appreciate it. I appreciate it that, that the book was, scary as hell as an element and then it was just on the shelf again like where did this book even come from if that ain't sadness and grief and that symbolism though because you're just like i'm done i'm healed and then you'll be like watching tv or eating cereal and you're like no it's still here there it is. <laughs> and thinking about the muted color scheme right the book is red mm -hmm. right it is, it, it's not quite vibrant, like, because that's not, that's not the color scheme of the film, but it is the most vibrant thing we see. It is the most enticing thing we see because it is enticing to let our grief take us over. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a good point. It kind of reminds me, and like, stay with me, it kind of reminds me of Pleasantville and how they were going about their mundane bullshit and then the Reese Witherspoon character was like, I'm gonna introduce some spiciness. And then it started to like ease into the whole town and they all started having color. And the people who wanted to stay gray were like, what are y'all doing being happy? That's not what we do here, it's Pleasantville. Um, this was, the Babadook was not peddling happiness, but it sort of reminded me of that, that like inkling of you need to change the way you're doing things. Have you thought about exploring this option? Right, and I love that the book, so the cover of the book is like you said, red, but then the inside the book, it's all black and white. I just see blood. Mm. When I see that, I'm like, oh, people are going to die. That's that immediately, I was like, oh, this is so vibrant and like a crimson, a deep crimson, something gorgeous and beautiful. But then it held such scariness. Because it was- it... Our, our experiences are gorgeous and beautiful, but they actually hold a lot of fear for us. And moving past them 
it's a process because we don't know how to get past the inert to experience and appreciate the outwards. Mm -hmm. And that crimson, like asking you to open it, giving you the idea that something different or something new is going to happen. It's a trap. It's just putting you in more of the same. That, that's why the insides are black and white, sort of like her world is in this muted tone. So just like, I'm going to trick you into thinking this is something new, but this is just more and more of the same. While we're on this book, I just want to say that every time in the before times when someone visited and didn't leave a Babadook book in my home, I questioned our friendships because I felt like that was a very easy way of giving me a gift I'd remember. <laughs> and of saying that you see me. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Sheree, we no longer can be friendly or get to the point of being friend friends um, because you better not ever leave a Babadook book in my goddamn house. <laughs> Somebody's ass is gonna get beat. I'm gonna be like her, like, excuse me, they need drugs. I need drugs. We're done here. Canceled. <laughs> <laughs> We're engaging in cancel culture. <laughs> this film, this film is consequence culture. I feel like a lot of this would not be an issue at all if mom was able to be respected as a person and not just as a mother, because we have this tradition of saying, once you become a parent, you no longer matter. It's all about the child. And if she knew that she also was important, because you can't take care of your child if you don't take care of yourself. And that's, I feel like that's the root of this, right? She didn't deal with her grief because she was trying to worry about baby's grief. And so she just never dealt with it. And that, mm -hmm. I feel like that goes largely to what Sheree was saying about, um, Fem body persons being relegated to a certain way. That hit me with something too. The husband, the husband dies taking her to the hospital, right? So she's at a point where where she where, where she's already been treated as a vessel for another life, as the container as the container for another life, and that is how she may, and that is how she remains from that point forward through the end of the uh, of the film is that people continue to see her as this as a vessel to be as a vessel for something else for someone else and never as uh, and never as someone with agency or the ability or, or the ability to care for themselves like it's never it, and that so much of so so much of our history is so much of our westernized history is filled with that that women's that that femme bodies are all about being a vessel for the other even though even even in the way that we've manifested the babadook as something inside her that that pours out of her like she has continuously just been treated as a vessel yeah i and something that I brought up to me too that I just thought about I mean think about how much of a different movie this would be if it were if, if the mother had died and the father had survived everyone would have been like how can we help you oh this is so hard for you oh this is da 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 da, da. it would have been a completely different movie it would have been full house there been support swarmed in <laughs> um because he needs help he he's a man he can't be respected to like raise his children it's so, brave, it's so brave Don't of you as a single father. So brave of you. Right? It would have been a comedy. It would have been Three Men and a Baby, Part 9, the reboot. Somebody thought we wanted. it. It would have never been the Babadook. It would have been like, I'm fine because I have help. And they got me help and they got me therapy. 
and I'm a newscaster now. Uh, have we seen Keenan, which is basically a reboot of Full House with Black people? <laughs> he would have been remarried. He would have been remarried. His new wife would be raising the kid because he can't be bothered to raise his own kid. Because again, we don't ask men to raise their children. <laughs> him and Claire, him and Claire would have been together or some shit. Like there would have been a Claire. Right? Right? A Clarissa. <laughs> right? Hey, hot takes. I'm ready. I got one. All right. I, think, I hope. It ain't that hot. Yeah. Let me, let me I mean, mine, so usually mine aren't that hot either. They're like lukewarm. It's, it's a simmer take. <laughs> All right. Peter, you want to go with yours first? Yeah, I think I think my hot take is sort of like in relation to other folks' hot take, and we sort of been touching on it the entire time. I think we're supposed to like empathize with the mom by the end of this movie. And I just do not. Like, I don't. Like, I get it. She's the protagonist. Like, I should be rooting for her. I should be her cheerleader. But I'm just like, no, you abused this child. You killed this dog. You almost killed your neighbor because you couldn't deal with what was inside of you because you didn't seek help for what was inside of you. Your trauma should not be damaging the people around you. I'm a Gemini, so I'm on the fence because one of me believes in her and one of us doesn't. <laughs> it depends on the day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right, Maya, go, go on with yours. Um, so my hot take is like about the white violence. I see a lot of white violence in this film. And I see a lot of, we talked about this too, the fact that this child would have been gone if it was anybody else's. And I feel like we give white women and we let white women's tears dictate what's going to happen to their future. So that's my hot take. Have y'all seen Mommy Dead and Dearest or heard about the Gypsy Rose Blandred story? Yeah. Yes. Epitome. Real, that was my life. My like, I I had a, I came from a really abusive childhood home. I have I have a white mother, right? The amount of times that I should have been taken away from her throughout throughout my childhood is ridiculous. But because she was a white woman, she got to keep me. So my hot take, I I think what keeps this movie from being a great movie from from being a great movie, I would probably kind of, it's a good movie, but it's not a great movie for me. It's not a favorite of mine. Um, is that I'm not, there's not any character that I'm like rooting for that I want, that I care about. Um, there are moments that I care about the kid. There's moments that I care about the mom. It kind of, you know, it kind of goes back and forth, but like overall at the end, I'm just like, okay, he lived. <laughs> the little boy lived and he's still with his probably mom who's not still dealing with her issues. So is this going to repeat itself? You know, so I'm just like, eh. But it's, it's a well-made film, I will say that. The only person I'm rooting for is Miss Roach, Lady Next Door, old Lady Next Door. Yeah. I'm rooting for her not to die because I feel like some people, I feel like if, if, if we need it to be, she would be machete ready if it was time for the revolution. She's got your back with Parkinson's and all. It would help her. It would be an asset because she definitely hit something. <laughs> like she was going to stab you and catch something in there. Um, she wouldn't be like, oh no, I missed everything important. Honestly, you know what? Maybe I'm rooting for the Babadook. Maybe the Babadook just needs to get out. The Babadook has been trapped in a toxic ass environment. The Babadook is the, is the victim here, trapped in that basement, trying to get out of this house. Just like these white people need therapy. I need out. Free the Babadook. 
<laughs> the Babadook is trying to kill their way out of this traumatic ass environment. At least feed the Babadook something better than worms, okay? Get him, get him a cheesecake. <laughs> Some candles on top of the worms. And right? the Make it faster. Make it an event. So, like, <laughs> my, my hot take is that I, I was fine with her trying to kill the kid because I didn't like the kid. Um, and like the possible threat to Miss Roach upset me, but I wasn't like, no. But when she killed the dog, a part of me removed myself from her camp and never got me back, even after all these rewatches. I feel like that was the line where I was like, you're a monster. I agree. Well, I, and I, I did not want her to kill her kid. I, hopefully he can get his shit together and get some therapy when he gets older and he's not having to deal with his mom all the time. There is hope. <laughs> There's hope. I'm sorry, this is a podcast because we can't. So, India Ari, go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but also, like, you're, you're right, Shirei. Like, this dog is basically the only character here that doesn't really have the ability to get agency and has to die. And he dies as a little boy, which I don't like a little boy still. <laughs> I, I understand now, because we talked about it, that some of his reactions and behaviors are trauma responses. But still, he's just not a good kid. He woke up to be a serial killer. So why the dog have to die for him? What? <laughs> the sadness for me about the dog is that I know that that dog would have put themselves between mom and child no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I come from a child, I come from a dog owner family, like a, at least my dad, like I had multiple dogs, pit bulls, they're sweet as hell. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, if they love you, they'll still turn on you if you go after the person that they love the most. And I felt that from this dog and I felt like the, the dog had the, the most important arc in the damn movie. Much like Trent was saying, it, the movie ain't giving us much, but if they were brown, I'm not gonna give y'all another hot take next. Give it. Give it. I feel like there would have been more nuance. I feel like if you gave Jordan Peele this script, we would have had a different discussion. Nisha Green. Can we Nisha get, Green, yes. Could we get Nia DaCosta to redo this in a few years after the Candyman gives her, her money and coins? Coins. I love Candyman. I'm, Only if I, we get Lupita as the mother. Yes. Oh my God, that would be incredible. Lupita's always option number one for whatever it is. I don't care what it is. Um, I, I piss on Superman daily, but if Lupita's like, I'll play Superman, I'll be like, you know what? Those moon rocks are bad. You let her do it. <laughs> Casting it right now. All I need is Lupita as mom and Viola Davis as Mrs. Roach. Yes. I would love to come back and do this again. I thank you so much for your time and you giving me the space to talk about something that like, I don't usually get a chance to talk about. I'm like, just a little black lady like out here doing my thing. And like, they don't expect me to be into anything different. And like horror is one of those things that I am kind of into in a different way. I try not to watch it because I'm impressionable, but when I do watch it, I always enjoy it. So thank y'all. You're very much. Thank you. <laughs> You're going to come back at some point for sure. Um, yeah, so thank you, Maya. Thank you, Peter. Um, thanks for coming with us. Next week, we're going to be talking about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night with Olivia Lilly. Which will continue our month-long marathon of movies written and directed by fans. Awesome. Again, thank you to Maya and thank you, Peter. You guys were incredible guests. 
Thank you to everyone out there listening and make sure you stay fierce out there. Bye.